hello and welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. My name is Byron Kinnaird and with me in the studio today is Eric Ye, who has just now been awarded the Architects Medallion for 2018. The medallion has been awarded by the board since 1924 to a graduate of architecture from a school in New South Wales who has achieved distinction in their studies. Eric is a graduate from the University of Technology, Sydney, and he was awarded not just for his outcomes in Design Studio, but also for his leadership in the co-creation of the Post publication and his inclusive work as a tutor of architecture. On top of that, Eric's work has received numerous awards and has featured at the Oslo Triennial. Eric currently works at Andrew Burgess Architects and is a casual academic at UTS. Congratulations, Eric. Thanks, Byron. Um, it's a real honour um, to be um, the recipient of this award. Um, I know yeah, there are, there's a very long list of really amazing and great architects and thinkers in the past who have won this, so yeah, I'm totally stoked. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in to talk. So you've graduated from a five-year degree and you're going into practice now, you're going into teaching. Are you optimistic about the profession as you go forward? Yes, I am. And I think in the past, I like it's taken me a while to realise this, um, but I think in Sydney right now, there's a we're witnessing a lot of changes to the urban environment, and this isn't only in Sydney. This is in the whole of Australia and around the world. So there's a lot of um, opportunity for architects to then help create this new environment for these new inhabitants. So, what sort of changes do you mean? New changes. So there's a lot more developments happening. Um, so. In the inner city in Sydney, there's a lot of apartments going up. There's a lot of um, planning of new public precincts. Um, so with this, there obviously comes um, a lot of opportunity to then build and to then um, create um, new public spaces which respond to new inhabitants. It sounds like you're quite optimistic about yeah. the role that architecture plays in Sydney right now. So, so I think from the very first day that I went into architecture school, on my very first contact with architecture, to, to then now, my understanding or my kind of um, idea of what the architecture profession is has changed a lot, right? So yeah, how has it changed? Well, I think maybe this is very like naive, like a naive year twelve boy entering architecture <laughs> school. Um, but you know, I thought architecture was you know this one heroic figure um, designing a building and then putting it out in the world. But the reality is, you know, we rarely work by ourselves. We're always working in collaboration with other people. And, you know, even these star architects that we talk about, right, they have like giant teams behind them. And I think I'm starting to realize that in, in practice and also um, at uni, collaboration really kind of, um, it nurtures or it creates a, a better outcome for all. And there are also like a lot of stakeholders and a lot of like different kind of influences within the act of um, building making and uh, the built environment as well, and we need to like acknowledge some of those um, actors as well. You've spoken about collaboration as quite a crucial idea to your practice. Was it something that came out of your education? Like, how did that emerge as an important idea for you? Absolutely, yeah. And I found that um, I've been very lucky being at UTS. We've really kind of had a very um, strong uh, focus on collaboration and group work. Um, and also having like a very multidisciplinary uh, understanding of how architecture should work. So, you know, during my five years at UTS, I've been very lucky to find a very close-knit group of collaborators, some of which I've then went on to, you know, work on competitions. Um, and, you know, a really close collaborator, Jack Eilbanks, uh, and myself then went on to start post-publication. 
Um, so, so I think collaboration is a very big part of the way I kind of operate and, and practice. So another part of your practice, uh, so you work at Andrew Burgess Architects, where a lot of you teach and work at the same time. Why is that important to you that you do both like that? Yeah. So I think teaching for me, um, on a very selfish level, I think I'm learning a lot as well um, in the process. So in kind of preparing for the preparing for the class, I'm learning um, things which I otherwise would have missed beforehand. And it also it makes you a better communicator. And I think that's very important for architecture or being an architect because so often we're dealing or we're speaking to people who have no understanding or no kind of um, training in architecture. And so it's very important to understand how you can communicate what you're thinking to like a broader lay audience. And do you think that's flowing on into your work and practice as well, that, uh, that idea of communication? Absolutely, yeah. And I think... On one hand, yes, communication, but I think what teaching has allowed me to do is explore certain kind of project types or certain kind of topics which aren't necessarily always covered in practice, purely due to the, you know, our geographical location or um, the kind of clients that we get. What sort of work? Like, what sort of projects that fall outside that spectrum? Well, for example, last year uh, I worked on a, a server farm um, for a design studio. So... A server farm is a very interesting thing because uh, traditionally speaking, a lot of them are designed by engineers and there isn't really much architectural input and they're designed to be, um, you know, blend into the environment, right? And more and more as we kind of enter the digital age, uh, we are relying on this kind of infrastructure. And so it's going to, in the future, it's going to become a lot more present in our built environment. So I think what's interesting about that studio is then we're exploring, you know, how can we expand, you know, the agency of the architect to then uh, look at or give our expertise to these other parts of the built environment, which are not typically within our kind of scope of works. Yeah, okay. So you live in Sydney, but you've already had the chance to compare design cultures, design media, and design education around the world. So in 2016, you're invited to be a part of the Oslo Architecture Tri- Triennial, Triennial, and you've completed um, part of your studies in Denmark. Um, How would you describe what's common between those places and what are some of the major differences that you experienced? Yeah, so I think uh, what was common was the collaborative nature of those environments. So um, in Denmark, we worked in very kind of like close collaboration with our studio peers. And the Oslo Triennale was a week-long intensive workshop with 20 other schools around the world. Um, yeah, so it was quite interesting to see kind of the, the diverse nature of views as well. What I really enjoyed was uh, the collaborative nature and speaking to people and working with people um, from different backgrounds. Um, and that kind of like really kind of cements uh, the importance of diversity because I guess everyone has a unique viewpoint or a unique kind of like perspective um, into this kind of the, the city that we all share together. And I think that's something I really want to bring to Sydney as well and to really acknowledge because I think, you know, Sydney is a very multicultural and Australia is a very multicultural country and we have a lot of people from a lot of diverse backgrounds. So there's a very, there's a wealth of, of knowledge and also of ideas from all of these, from this diversity, which is very kind of, um, very exciting. As you mentioned, being awarded the Architects Medallion kind of it gives you a platform, like it has this history, which is quite prestigious. Mm-hmm. Um, so past winners have included uh, Rick Laplastria, Richard Johnson, Rachel Neeson, mm-hmm. and our own president, as we heard, Deborah Daring. If you had a message for the profession, what would that be? I think we're in a very exciting time, both in our profession and also in Australia and in Sydney. 
uh, there's a lot happening in our built environment. And I think now more than ever, architects have a, a responsibility and a very relevant set of skills to then help in the creation of this future environment. What are some of those skills though? Well, I think we're very good generalists. So we're very good at kind of like listening to different actors in different parties and kind of like trying to find spatial solutions to that. And and on that point, um, we have a very unique spatial intelligence. And it's very important because I guess 80% of our lives we live in, in buildings. And that's a lot of time to be spending in potentially crappy spaces and or like unfunctional spaces. So we, we definitely have the skill set to then remedy that. This is a hard question, but what is spatial intelligence? What do you mean by that? So I think when I'm, when I'm talking about spatial intelligence, within the way we kind of plan buildings or, um, or kind of create public spaces, there are certain sets of prescribed ways of living that come with that. And I think through my education and through kind of looking back at history and the kind of different uh, domestic, especially domestic arrangements, they privilege or they kind of um, encourage a certain way of, of, of thinking, right? So in the way if sp- space is arranged, they can perpetuate power structures or they can kind of, um, they can be a way to segregate people in their most evil state. But they also have the ability to then bring people together or create a space of conversation or of community. So spatial intelligence is, it sounds like, it's about understanding the relationships between people, understanding the relationships between people and other spaces, the built or designed environments. Yeah. Or it's, I guess, acknowledging that the way we structure buildings and public spaces then has a, a direct impact on how we interact and mm-hmm. it, it creates a, a certain like reaction. Or... And is this a scalable idea? Like, does, does this affect cities? Absolutely, yeah. And, and more and more in big cities, when it's very dense, um, a lot of the spaces that we do have to, to share and to kind of inhabit are, you know, public plazas or, you know, um, or, or parks. And you need those spaces of, um, of engagement and of, of gathering. So what is on the agenda for you this year? You've just won the medallion, you're working, you're teaching. What do you hope to get out of the next year? So um, <laughs> me and my friend uh, and very close collaborator Jack Gilbanks. Last year, we started a architectural publication called Post. Um, we're really interested in kind of exploring the lesser known actors in the built environment and really kind of creating a, a, a platform to kind of engage like a lar- larger audience. So what is Post about? What's the, what's the mission statement of Post? We want to look into the, fringe, the fringes of architecture. So again, this goes back to my earlier point um, that architecture is not like a, a solo profession, right? There's a lot of people involved, a lot of different actors. So, and a lot of the time in both in academic discourse and in professional discourse, we sometimes have a tendency to um, gravitate very or look very inwards. So I think what we want to do with Post is expand that conversation, bring in the other actors and other influences in architecture and the built environment and actually um, see what they have to say and what they, what we can learn from them. So, you know, for example, we have an upcoming piece about food in architecture and how spaces of um, consumption and, and food culture then affects architecture. And, you know, in, in the past, we've looked at um, display suites. Um, so it's very bizarre that in some cases in Sydney, a lot of the direction that architects are given for these large developments um, are driven by real estate agents. So there's a lot of influence in that space of kind of like um, selling the apartments and also then and in a very weird way, uh, the real estate agent and the display suite becomes one of the main interfaces that the public has with um, the built environment or like one 
private set of uh, built environment. So we're interested in kind of exploring people on the fringes on the outside of architecture and seeing how they can kind of like contribute or what we can kind of like learn from them. Um, and beyond that, we want it to be, we want this publication to reach a larger audience. So the way we're distributing it is in cafes, um, you know, in bookshops, at, at universities, and also for free online. So we think, you know, there's a tendency for, you know, some architectural publications to be only read by architects or people in the, prof uh, the profession. So we want to expand that audience because, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has a stake in the built environment. We want to kind of engage and see what they have to say as well. Sounds fantastic. That was my next question. Where can I find this? Anywhere. Um, but if you want, yeah, you can find us on, on our website. So it's post-post.co. Um, we're also on Instagram at post.publication. But yeah, we're going to be relaunching in a few weeks' time. So yeah. Fantastic. Keep an eye out. Thanks so much, Eric. And congratulations again. Thanks, Byron. It's been really good to talk. Yeah, likewise. That's it for this episode. You've been listening to Architecture Insights. As always, you can find all of our episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. I've been your host, Byron Kinnaird. Thank you for listening.